All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You are listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Mr. Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay. In the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 611 points, or 2%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 98 points, or 2.5%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 382 points, or 3.3%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 12.2%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is down 16.9%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 24.4%. So, had a nice four-day rally with the exception of Friday. Had a little bit of an attack of the Fridays again. Um, I know Joe and I talking on Thursday, we were very curious to see how the market would react to a tech name, not a huge tech name, but the Snap earnings. And, boy, uh, let's just say this. When they came out after hours, I called Joe, left a voicemail on his office phone, and I said, palms away, because Snap just absolutely got snapped across the face with a wet towel. And then, um, and then again, then it met ourselves off, obviously, so the social uh, media social sites, the whole Meta, space. Google, oh, the, whole the whole space, space. all of them. The whole space. And so that was, I'd say, a domino that was tipped a Thursday after market close that then bled into Friday where we saw some selling. But overall, for for a week, for the Dow to be up 2, S&P up 2.5, the NASDAQ up 3.3%. I know on Friday there was a lot of conversations going back and forth with other analysts and money managers and heard a few people say that the bottom has been put in. And I know Jeff just some portfolio conversations we've had the latter part of this past week, uh, you were definitely winding up. You were loosening up your pitching arm because you're getting ready to throw <laughs> some fastballs in about your feelings on some of these folks saying that the bottom has been put into the market. So I don't know if you wanted to dive into it right this second or if you wanted to wait till we got a little deeper into the show. Well, let me ask you just kind of a question. Tell me, give me one example of a market bottom that occurred in the summertime. 
Crickets? Am I hearing crickets? Yeah, I can't really think. I mean, there was that little flash correction from uh, Brexit back in June June of 2016, if memory serves me correct. I remember remember one from even further back, but no, 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 no. There, There isn't any. Major market bottoms don't occur in the summertime. If Dad was here, he'd be, exactly, that's exactly what I would be saying, Jeff. Major market bottoms just don't occur in the summertime. I was just before we went to air, I was looking at a chart going back to the early 1980s. And it always seems that October and March seem to be months where major market bottoms occur. Like the 1987 bottom, Mm -hmm. that was Mm -hmm. what? October 19th. Uh, uh, Okay. COVID, March uh, Hmm. 2009, March. Okay. Yeah. March of 09. Well, and there's, of course, always outliers because we had that 20-plus percent correction in the fourth quarter of 2018, but it gave Mm -hmm. a a quick about-face as we got into the first quarter of 2019 when the Fed was talking hawkish, talking tough, and a reverse course. It was totally about talk about about, uh, raising rates. Now we're in a a condition where they're actually raising rates, and they're going to be raising rates – as far as the eye can see, none, none of us know when they're going to stop raising rates. So to, to make a call like this, I mean, how many folks go out there, hey, let's let's take a dart, let's throw it at the wall, it's, and let's go out there and let's call the bottom. And if I'm right, then they can talk about my call for the next five years, and maybe I can make a career in managing money because I made this this call on CNBC saying the markets had you know, reached a bottom in the summer of 2022 could that be I, similar it, to could that be similar to the meteoric rise of some of the arc funds in 2020 that has now made Kathy Wood the well, the hallowed I, ma- money manager of all money I managers i mean give me she, a break she, she had a good I, week and a half couple i weeks. haven't heard i haven't heard diddly squat from Kathy Wood in a while i remember well, she when shut one of her funds th- down she shut one of her funds down earlier oh, really? this week the okay, transparency fund is shut. It's I, done. I didn't, uh, they they used to have her on. It seems like every week. I haven't heard from her in a while. Um, well, so I'll give her. I'll give her this. She tapes her feet to the to the to the pedals. I'll tell you this. She tapes her feet to the pedals. She sticks to she sticks to her guns. So for I, I got to give her credit for in her intestinal fortitude and maintaining that longer term perspective. But buying large positions. And a lot of unprofitable, high-flying tech names, and just telling everyone to stay the course and look five, six years down the road. Uh, well, like, call, like we've said, to call I, Mar- I mean, go ahead. To, I've got. I know our, our listeners can't see this. Maybe someday we'll post these videos online. I have a chart of the S and P five hundred going back uh, a year and a half, and we have been in this this channel on the charts of successively lower highs and lower lows that go back to the beginning of 2022. And we've had a series of counter rallies inside this channel between the lower highs and the lower lows. And we're in another, we got out of the channel this week. We, we, we exited the channel for the first time really since this decline going back to the beginning of the year. So I guess that's what 
the folks that are saying that, okay, the low's in just because we got out of this channel for a couple of trading days. Now, this the these rallies that we've been these counter rallies that we've been having in this in this bear market decline, we've had an eight and a half percent rally, a ten percent rally, eleven percent rally. Right now, we're in a we're at about a nine percent rally that goes back to the middle of June. This will be the, and 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 it's and it's left the channel. We'll see. I'm going to I'm going to carry this over to the next segment, but I have more to say about this when we come back. Okay, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call at our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, continuing our recap of the happenings of Wall Street from last week. And before we went to commercial break, Jeff, I know you were talking about the kind of channel, the technical channel that we've been in since the beginning of the year in this bear market. So I want to let you continue with the point that you were making about how this week, how we were able to, to get up outside of that channel for a point in time, but then Friday saw some sell down. Well, we're, and even with Friday's close, we're still outside the channel. We're outside the channel by maybe 50, 75 points on the S&P, a few percent. Uh, we're, we're just went above the 50-day line here this week, but we're still substantially below the 200-day line. I know this is all very technical, and I'm sorry if I'm glazing over our listeners' eyes, but just because we've had this blip above this downtrend that goes back to the beginning of the year and we've blipped above this 50-day line, all on, yeah, we've had we had some, a lot of earnings this week, but it, it, we talked about the meat and potatoes of earnings. We've had the potatoes, and only a few potatoes. Next week, we get nearly the entire plate. We get the prime rib. We get the prime the, rib. <laughs> all the big boys report next week, and the Federal Reserve is going to raise rates again, and they're going to talk about how they're still hawkish. You can't tell me that they're going to come out and say anything dovish when when CPI is above where the headline CPI number is above the last time they raised rates. There ain't going to be anything dovish in that message coming from the Fed. And we're going to get the first reading of second quarter GDP, which is estimated to be negative. I think it's minus 1.6 is the uh, – is the estimate. Is that so, the consensus? Yeah, that's the consensus estimate. So if you get a first reading second quarter GDP that's negative, and we've already had a negative first quarter total GDP, they're gonna the R word is gonna be, you know, just as just as uh said by the left leaning media as the insurrection word that I'm so tired of hearing. I'm sorry I had to go political there for me. Just for I, you, I'm, actually, I'm actually shocked. <laughs> I know shocked. you've been riveted watching the January <laughs> I mean, 6th 
Sham trial. I, I have not. I've been watching replays of the of the Tour de France. But <laughs> <clears throat> that's how interested I am in that. So we're going to be hearing about the R word, which really hasn't been talked about all week because the Bulls have been happy because they've got they got a 600-point rally this week. Oh, the sun's shining. The clouds have cleared. The rains have stopped. It's all it's all good. You know, let's go back to 75% invested in stocks. You know, no, I mean, that's, it's insanity. I mean, the Fed has not won and the Fed's not going to quit until they win. And in order for the Fed to win, the market's going to have to lose. That's just my take on it. Now, how much more does the market have to lose? Well, we still, we've been talking about this going back to where we were in February 2020 as as our as our location. Joe, you're shaking your head no. You got something you want to add? No, no, no. I'm just listening. I mean, <laughs> we were talking the last segment about certain channels and we were the market's moving within certain channels. And mm-hmm. I agree with you to an extent that you have the big boys are next week. Microsoft and Apple and uh Google are Tuesday. I think Apple next week too. You have three of the big boys. Mm-hmm. Uh you know I call it the new Mang trade, which is actually Microsoft, Apple, Nvidia, and Google. Three of those are going to be, are going to be have earnings next week, and I do agree. It could be Super Bowl of earnings week. Really, it's a lot of it's on the line next week. So well, get your well, popcorn well, ready. Well, no, it, it it really is, and like Jeff was saying, it's a trifecta because we have the prime rib of earnings, we have the Federal Reserve meeting. They'll be raising three quarters of one percent again. And we have the first read of second quarter CPI, or first quarter, excuse me, first reading of second quarter GDP. Right. Let me get that, let me get that clear. But, but, but here's the thing. We talked about this weeks ago that we're most likely in a quote unquote technical recession, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. But it doesn't feel that way because we haven't seen the employment destruction that normally accompanies a recession. And I, I've had conversations with some other people in the industry and just friends of mine that are in the industry. And I guess the big $64,000 question is, is the Federal Reserve going to be able to raise interest rates high enough or continue to raise rates high enough to the point to where they start to de- start to see some destruction on the employment side? Because we still have unemployment below 4%. We still have a ton of jobs available. We know there's a ton of companies available or ton of, ton of jobs and ton of companies looking for, for, for employees. So I, I just, I, I have this feeling that because the federal reserves moves are a lagging, have a lagging effect on the consumer price index and, and inflation in general, I just don't know if we're going to be seeing the job destruction that we've seen in past recessions. I just well, it, don't foresee that. If the Fed's actions have a lagging effect, meaning they take time to come through, wouldn't the market right now be discounting what they're expecting in the future, which would be worse economies in the future? I mean, that that's would be my saying, that, Jeff. That would be that would be my take on. But we're only down. I mean, we're only down seventeen percent in the S and P without okay, dividends. And, and th- and this is because of the job I'm making about po- the the point I'm making about jobs. Well, what, what we're hearing about jobs is we're hearing more and more companies cutting, saying they're cutting back on their hiring. 
But that's fine. But that they're not going out and saying we're laying off fifty thousand people either. Well, Ford, Ford this week said they were laying off several thousand white collar jobs because of their move into EV vehicles. Okay, it's just a matter. It's just a matter of time before other companies follow suit. Again, I think what the market is pricing in is yes, we're gonna we're in a technical, most likely in a technical recession. If we do have a full, you know. We get confirmation we're in a recession. It's going to be more of a mild one that doesn't is not accompanied by massive job destruction and the unemployment rate going from three six three seven to say six six and a half. I just I don't foresee that occurring. And the market from a things being priced in, it's priced in the interest rate increase next week. It's priced in the interest rate increase in September. So that October time frame you were talking about earlier in the show, Jeff, is very interesting about where major market bottoms can take effect because we know the Fed's going to be raising again in September, most likely at three-quarters of 1%. Well, that's why I think I said on last week's show that it was 50-50 that the market bottom occurs prior to the election. And to me, it was more like 75% that occurs by the end of the year. Um, and part of that is just the, the historic, for whatever reason, and I think there's some, you know, I think I read an article many years ago about trying to explain why major market bottoms seem to occur in and around the third quarter. Um, <clears throat> maybe it has to do with elections. I don't know. Uh, but to me, the, you know, these... I haven't necessarily seen anything in the earnings that that has has got me just really wanting to jump out and and buy more stock. I mean, it really hasn't. There just hasn't been anything that really excite me. Yeah, Joe. Well, there is one one thing that's really not a, 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 a fundamental issue you got to look at. Where's sentiment right now as far as investor sentiment? It definitely is not optimistic. It's not at an all time high. I, I've talked to a couple of clients this week. And we, and, you know, in, in watching CNBC, sentiment is still pretty low from an investment standpoint. I said that's the only thing I could look at and say, all right, but but maybe it's it, there's not but, enough capitulation, enough fear to say, all right, we're at a bottom. But I do, I do think we, as we talked about it last week, we're closer to the bottom, you know, now than we were four or five months ago, no doubt. But well, that, that's true. But going back to that sentiment, I think there was part of this rally that we saw this pack, past week is that it was a counter rally based on a report that came out on professional mutual fund managers and professional money managers sentiment being the lowest they have ever recorded since this survey began. And, you know, Warren Buffett, the old oracle, he says that you need to be more optimistic when the market in general is at its most pessimistic, when there's blood in the streets. Well, I think that was maybe one of the contributing factors to the rally that we saw Monday through Thursday of this past week because that survey came out at the most pessimistic it's ever been. And so this was a counter rally. I don't know well, if you all read that. Well, if you're, if you're a mutual fund manager that is forced to be fully invested all the time, I mean, yeah, you're, you're, you're getting – your tail end handed to you this year, even in a balanced portfolio. If you have to be fully invested all the time, you're getting your tail handed to you because what do we? What, what was the first six months? The worst start for stocks since 1970, and the the worst year to start for, for the 10-year Treasury you know, since the 1800s. You know, going back to the 1800s. So yeah, I can understand why my mutual fund manager sentiment 
would be pretty low. I don't know that that's necessarily a good indicator. All right, well, let's take another break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call at our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So just continuing our weekly recap of Wall Street, you know, from a strategy standpoint, um, you know, we're still hanging right around our third lowest allocation to stocks in our 33-year history uh, and our moderate allocations hovering between 30 35% allocations. Um, but I would say for investors that are maybe sitting on a large level of cash, um, we always recommend never do the all-in, all-out strategy because you never can time it perfectly on the upside. You can never time it perfectly on the downside. So if you do have a significant level of cash, and even though we know that we don't feel that the that the bottom is in yet, but like Joe said before we went to the bottom of the hour break, I think we're a lot closer to it today than we were three months ago. But this is where you can take advantage of dollar cost averaging and just incrementally, very slowly start nibbling and start dipping your toes into the water back onto the stock side of the market. Now, for us, when we do this type of nibbling, we typically start with our index base, and that is our index base of exchange-traded funds where we get broad-based diversification with just buying one share of a particular exchange-traded fund, like an SPY or a QQQ. Um, And so, you know, that is something that if you have a long-term investment time horizon and you are sitting on a higher level of cash, and at the end of the day, it's more time in with some aspects of timing, but to slowly start nibbling back in maybe a percent or two a week, over an extended period of time, depending upon how much cash you have, might not necessarily be a bad strategy when you look out 24, 36, 48 months down the road. There is one thing guaranteed. If you did take that strategy and you averaged in a little bit and you used the Qs, which is the which is represents the NASDAQ or the SPIs, which represents the S&P 500, there is one thing that's, that's 100% certain is you're not buying at an all-time high. So <laughs> Absolutely you know. not. No, you're That's not guaranteed. buying at an absolute. Yeah, you're you're not buying, and, and we're not very, saying that very there might, few things are guaranteed in the stock market. That is one guarantee. And we're definitely not saying that there's not some more pain to be coming down the road because, like we've been saying, the Fed is not done raising rates. We did just get received the highest CPI print going back to the ni- early 1980s, and we know the Fed is doing all they can to combat monetary inflation, and so they'll have to continue to raise rates to do it. One of an interesting anecdote from the health of the consumer, AT&T came out with their earnings, I think it was Thursday, and, and they were saying how they're, they're seeing trends beginning where their customers are taking longer to pay their bills. 
And that's the Verizon phone bill. as well. Phone Verizon and as Verizon well. as well. So that's mm-hmm. their cell phone or landline and maybe direct TV because AT&T owns direct TV. Um, yeah, Joe. Well, to your point, Jeff, and I was actually researching this before we got on the show Friday. So AT&T dropped 10%. Is that correct? I think Thursday it dropped 10%. I'm roughly in one day. So if you're buying AT&T or even a Verizon for the dividends, you go, oh, it's a nice, safe stock. I'm going to just take my dividends, you know, and, and, and go home. You have to be leery of that. But Jeff had a really, really good point about AT&T, and I'll let you continue on that point. But I, I watched that. Was that. Really, the, the, I was kind of – following on to Kyle's comment about mutual fund manager sentiment being, being low. And I told him, you know, well, I think it's low because they're, it's a hard year. It's a hard year to manage money. Even, even for 60, 40 balance managers, it's a hard year for the mutual fund managers. Most of them have to be fully invested all the time. They can't do what we do where we're right now. And I'm just going to tell this to everyone and you guys from a historic perspective, we have never in the history of our company, and it's now coming up on 33 years here in just about six weeks or so, we have never in the history of our company had this low an allocation to stocks for this long. The last Mm -hmm. time that we were this low was in, or we went a little bit lower than this, was in October of 2008, but we were only there for a very short period of time, I think a handful of weeks. We've been sitting at 35% invested in stocks now for, I think, more than a month. Yes. And this, and this is in our, larger, in our large accounts that own individual municipal bonds or individual corporate bonds. This is the lowest allocation to those individual bonds that we have ever had in the history of our company by a wide margin. Now, at the beginning of the year, was, did, I, did I predict that we were going to have the worst bond market in almost 200 years? No. We thought it would be, it'd be a bad market. We just didn't know how bad it was going to be. And I thank our lucky stars that we did what we did in February, selling a lot of these bonds and repositioning in instruments that profit when interest rates go higher, which have paid off handsomely for us this year. And basically, we're flat in our fixed income portfolios in the worst year ever for all intents and purposes in fixed and in fixed income. So that's been, you know, that's been a good thing for us this year, but mutual fund managers can't do that. They can't do that. They're not that and, nimble. They're, and, they're, 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 they're these super tankers. And one of the they, things that you're Jeff and you're exactly right in, in doing a lot of research on the 401k and all I do, I'm kind of a, 401k dork or nerd, if you will, and all I do is dive into Morningstar research, look at individual mutual funds. A lot. One of the things we look at are top ten holdings and what percentage of that fund make up that top ten holdings. And they are super tankers. They're going to have your Apple. They're going to have your Microsoft. They're going to be so heavily invested in those. Sometimes if they sell them, they have such a large amount of embedded capital gains they can't move. And it, so it is a super tanker. They can't sell for multiple reasons. But one of the reasons is they're gonna. You could have a mutual fund that actually loses money for the year, and they could have some long-term, uh, long-term capital gains embedded in that particular mutual fund. So that they that they can't that they that they can't get out of. They're 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 yep. feeder and concrete because they are those super tangers as opposed to being a speedboat like we are here at Davidson Capital Management. But Joe, I wanted to expand on a, a point that you were talking about AT and T and the dividend. 
And this is something we talk about on this show from time to time and just kind of warning all of our listeners and investors to not just be completely dazzled by a particular company's dividend yield because that could be what some call a value trap where you're saying, oh, well, I'm going to be getting all of this great annual income. Well, if you're getting a 10% dividend yield, but then you have a 20 or 25% unrealized capital loss in the company's stock because of price depreciation because the company isn't that fundamentally sound. What's the point of getting the 10% dividend yield? So make sure that if you're a home gamer and you're investing your assets yourself or you're working with another advisor or if you're with a financial salesperson that that doesn't understand to go and do deep diving research and fundamental analysis of these companies that pay these higher dividends, you could be completely negating the value of getting that dividend if you have substantial losses and your net total return with the dividend is still negative double digits. And I think that was one of the points with AT&T is that the stock doesn't do a whole much, does a whole lot historically, in my opinion, fundamentally, I wouldn't touch the stock with a 10 foot pole but it's got a great dividend. Well, what does that matter if you have potential unrealized losses from the devaluation of the stock itself? So I, I wanted just to expand on that point because, you know, some prospective clients who meet was like, look at this great portfolio of all these great dividend stocks. Well, you still have 20% losses. And even after you account for all of your dividends, you're still down multiple double digits. So don't get, don't get caught in that value trap or just get dazzled by company's dividend. You have to do the analysis to see how solid the company is from a fundamental standpoint as well. I like what you said. Don't get dazzled by the dividends. That's that's a nice little cliche. Yeah. So don't get, get da- yeah. <laughs> don't 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 get dazzled we'll by the that, dividends. We'll put that on the T-shirt where it says "No fun until <laughs> the Fed is done." Right. And, then on and the don't back, get dazzled. Don't, or don't for, fight the Fed. And then on the back of the shirt, looking for green shoots. How about that? that oh, okay. Other. And don't be dazzled by the dividends. So that mm. that's that's definitely some good okay. sayings. We could sell those shirts and just retire. So <laughs> bulls make for money, that. bears make money, and hogs well, get slaughtered. Jim Cramer would probably totally get us on, on some uh, kind of trademark he, he or copyright. He trademark. He doesn't have a trademark. So, so in well, our we, portfolios, we got just a little bit of time before we go to the fourth segment. I know we got an article we're going to talk about in the last segment of today's Money Watch show in the first hour. Uh, we have not made any changes to our asset allocation uh, now for more than a month. We're waiting out these earnings numbers. The Fed's going to have Fed's going to raise rates. They're not going to have anything dovish to shit to say. I believe that we'll be back in this downward channel uh, here in the next week. I just I don't have a lot of confidence in these in these earnings numbers. I don't know that they're going to be good enough to 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 give all these big cap tech names a pass. I don't think all the bad news is is in all these big cap tech names. I just don't. Well, and the one thing before we do go to commercial break, what I'd like to hear from the Fed meeting is them talking about. 
adjusting their mandate because I think for the ECB and for the Federal Reserve to continue to maintain and have their feet stuck in concrete on this 2% mandate, I think they need to make some adjustments. Volcker did it back in the 80s. I think the Federal Reserve really needs to start talking about that. I'll have something to say about that after the break. All right, well, let's take our next break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Moneywise program, Jeff, I didn't know you said you wanted to make a comment about what I said right before commercial break, where I felt that the Federal Reserve at this next meeting coming up next week, they should start discussing making some adjustments to their 2% inflation mandate and possibly look at increasing it. I don't think the market is ready to hear that. I don't think after three interest rate increases, I don't think the Fed's going to throw in the towel that, that quickly. Got a um, 9.1 I, CPI print from last month. You don't think they're going to even just – Air it out there, just throw it well, out there in discussions. I just don't, I just don't well, I just don't think so. I think their credibility might be in question if after only three interest rate increases, they throw up their hands and say, well, we're not going to get there. It's going to be, we're, we're, we're going to target 4%, and uh, we're, gonna, we're only going to raise interest rates 50 basis points this this. A meeting, and then we're going to raise them 50 basis points in the next meeting and 50 basis points in the next meeting. The markets would take off, and, and inflation would go right back up again. You know, they go even Not higher than it is. It would go even, it would go even higher than, than it is now. Not necessarily. So, so I, I just don't think the Fed's going to throw in the towel at, you know, after three interest rate increases. I just don't. I, I just, yeah, I don't. I don't believe that. And, and I've, you know, I don't know. You know. There's all this talk. Well, well, you know, Volcker changed his his outlook on inflation uh, when, and they they changed their target to four percent, which it took it took him until 1983 when they started raising rates in the late 1970s. It took him to 1983 to get in to get inflation to four percent. You know, I haven't found any anything in evidence and he, that he actually said that. I don't know what their target was at the beginning. I guess it really doesn't much matter at this point. The fact that the, the Fed is targeting 2% and we're at 9, am I correct? Nine, was it well, 9.1 9. 1 on, on the CPI? Okay, 9.1 on headline CPI, and we're targeting 2. Seems that's like a, a long, that, that's a long way. That's a long way. So I, I just don't think the Fed's going to throw in the towel at this point. I think I think They'll throw in the towel and make a change if they do several 75 basis point moves and unemployment goes for, I think we're like the mid three and a halfs, right? Is three, like three, six, half, seven. seven. Say it goes to four and a half uh, six months from now on its way to five 
and they've done three or four 75 basis point increases, and they haven't got inflation down, say, below 5%, um, maybe they might. And, and what do you think was going to happen to stocks? What do you think would happen to the stock market if they did three 75 basis point uh, stock, you know, uh, rate increases? I don't think that we receive very well in the stock market. So I think how that's much, already how much priced destruction, in. How much? That's already I, priced in. Seventy-five have, is priced in next week. The no, September not, seventy-five about, is priced yeah, in. Yeah, I'm not. You're saying I'm not, past I, September? I, I just. Talking about past I, yeah, that. I'm, talking, I'm talking about past that. I'm talking about. I'm talking about through the end of the year. That's what I'm talking about. So, I just don't think they're going to do that until they're afraid that. All that they've done hasn't brought it down close enough to 2%, and they're afraid if they keep going that they're really going to cause some more serious economic issues, which is going to lead to uh, potentially joblessness exceeding their mandate, whatever. I don't even know what their mandate is on jobs, what they're targeting. They seem to be talk a lot about inflation targeting. Quote, full employment, whatever that means. What does that mean? (laughs) When I was in college, it was 6%. That's what it was. Well, we're nowhere near that. And I've had unemployment. If, if the Fed was to come out and say that they that they consider full employment to be six percent, <throat> so that would say to me that they that there's that they need to get unemployment to go higher. Do you think that's going to be well received in the marketplace? No. So they're going to say something like, "Well, we want quote unquote full employment." No one really knows what that is. <laughs> they right? haven't so defined it. I wrote this in. The market comments that just went out to our clients for the second quarter, this is an incredibly difficult time to manage money. Incredibly difficult. I mean, it's just, it's just incredibly difficult. We, so got the, we got the fixed income side on lock. The stock side is a totally different animal. It's just a totally different animal right now. And until, until you know, there's no fun until the Fed is done. I've said it over and over and over, and I still believe that. You know, 600-point rallies in the last week notwithstanding, there's not going to be any fun until the Fed's done, and the Fed's nowhere near done. Up at this point in time, but just like the Fed, it's all data dependent. If we finally start to see those lagging effects of their interest rate increases start to pick up at the pace more consumer price index coming down. We see the core PCE, which has been falling since February of this year, continuing to move south. Then we'll have to wait and see and and, and reassess. But like you said, Jeff, on the stock side, there's just so many different camps of this constant handicapping of all the data that's coming in on a daily basis and trying to make decisions inside of a portfolio but this is why active management is so critical well, this is why this is why being a speedboat is so critical and being able to make adjustments when adjustments need to be made in real market time as we do here at Davidson Capital well, yeah Joe Jeff and Jeff mentioned the market comments that he put together one example this week typifies everything so you have AT&T which is a value stock and a dividend paying stock going down 10% and then you have Snap obviously which is down over 30% in a day. I can't remember what it was down Friday, which capitulates. It was down, and, and it was down over 30%. So where are you going to hide? Are you going to hide? Are you going to get away from large cap growth and mega cap stocks? And you're going to go into dividend paying stocks? And then you have a three-day run like you just had. 
So the answer is yes, it is extremely challenging to manage money and be a picker of stocks in this environment. So, well, I think I think for any publicly traded company that does not have positive cash flow, that is not seeing positive earnings per share growth, which Snap has never had, um, I think companies like that, they're going as earnings continue to come through, and if they do not absolutely hit the cover off the ball or even potentially turn a some positive earnings per share growth, then we could see more get taken and just bludgeoned to death like Snap did on Friday. And so we always want to pay attention to what we buy are good, fundamentally sound companies that have sales, that have growth, that could pay a dividend and have pot, you know, and actually earn money and have cash flow. So that's absolutely critical. And we'd recommend anyone, any home gamer managing the money themselves or working with an advisor to make sure that those are the type of stocks that are inside of your portfolio. And if you don't want to be picking individual stocks and look at good quality indexed exchange traded funds. Well, with that, we're coming to the top of the hour break. So we'll take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise, guys, we'll be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving in to the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com, or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So being in our second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, a lot of times we like to reserve the second hour for investor education. Um, And I found an interesting article that came from the Market Watch from the Wall Street Journal titled, Five Things... Every retirement portfolio should have, and for any longtime listener of the money, or for any longtime listeners of the Money Wise program, uh, you know that we definitely love our lists, our countdown lists here on the Money Wise program. And so I thought this would be a good article to go into because I I, I know looking through all five of these things that they're saying that what the, the writer of this Market Watch, Watch article is saying that every retirement portfolio should have, I know that we can definitely add our two cents and increase the level of investor education provided in this article. So looking at number one for the five things every retirement portfolio should have And number one being consistent income. And I know 
that we have talked for years now here on the Money Wise program, the lack of consistent income, or I should say decent income, for retirees, particularly those that have higher levels of fixed income uh, inside their portfolio because of the historically low interest rate environment that we have. And what we have discussed on this program many times before is to not necessarily be completely focused on fixed income as providing that consistent income. And that there are a lot, there's a multitude of higher dividend-paying stocks that can produce consistent annual income but also give you the upside potential of price appreciation of the individual stock and kind of some of the go-tos in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And I know, Dad, you've talked many, many times on this program of the dogs of the Dow. And to explain to our listeners the dogs of the Dow again, uh, the dogs of the Dow are the, uh, at the beginning of each year, they identify the five or ten highest dividend-paying stocks in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and they become either the five dogs of the Dow or the ten dogs of the Dow. And the theory is you own those ten stocks for the year or five stocks if you're going with a small dog, and they will outperform the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and you'll receive consistent income. And then, and there again, if you also get price appreciation over the time that you own that stock, it's just extra icing on the cake. And again, when you look at the dogs of the Dow, when you see the 10-year Treasury yield where it is today, majority, if not all of the, the dogs of the Dow are having an annual div, a higher dividend yield than that of the 10-year Treasury in this current time. I know we haven't seen the list of the dogs of the Dow here recently, but the first stock that always pops up into my head is AT&T. Well, AT&T is still number one. And uh, and I just actually looked at it a couple days ago, and it's right around a 5.4% dividend yield. Well, you can say it's more than 5. I think it had a pretty good day on pretty good day the other day. So yeah. it is something over 5%. But the one thing I would say about this, Kyle, you know, the five things that we're looking for here in a retirement account, a consistent income. Now, in, in days gone by, obviously you would get your consistent income from the bond portfolio. And that was true from the time uh, in the late 70s all the way through the financial crisis back in, in 08. But because, as you said, because of the policy that the Federal Reserve has been following, which is basically a zero interest rate policy, uh, this has brought all bond yields down, and therefore people who could have got consistent income from their bond portfolio, they can know, they can get consistent income. I was the say, problem yeah. is it's not a level at which they can be retired. That, that they can survive on unless, and as we've talked on this program, if you're one of those lucky few that has a portfolio with asset sizes so large and your income needs so modest, and you also don't care about that pesky little thing called monetary inflation taking away your purchasing power, then you know you could look at having a majority of fixed income in your portfolio and be okay in retirement, but there's just so few and far between people and investors that are in that position. So bonds will still, like you said, Dad, provide that consistent income. It's just most likely not going to be at the level that's going to sustain you in retirement. And so that's when you have to look at diversifying your portfolio. And the first place to look to create that income is higher dividend-paying blue-chip stocks like an AT&T. And the first, I would say, really one of the first best places to go would be to track down the dogs of the Dow well, I think for any that's, given year. That's that's the easiest place easiest to begin. Place. 
and these are all household names. So I think a typical bond investor would feel more comfortable in some of these names than names that they're unfamiliar with. Okay. So, again, five things every portfolio retirement. I want to add a little yeah. bit of something to that okay. because here, especially since the financial crisis, we there there have been a real focus among some investors on high income and focusing on stocks like master limited partnerships or illiquid privately traded REITs or REITs in general there's been a real focus of buying some of those types of securities and just for and just ignoring when they go down in value many of the the, the master limited partnerships some of the REITs had large declines in values and saw their yields go up, and for whatever reason, the, the the investor that held those those securities was just focusing solely on the income and not really concentrating on what's happening to the value of the security. And having a 12 or 15 percent yield is all fine and good, but there's a reason why they're yielding 12 or 15 percent. Maybe you bought it when it was yielding eight, and now it's gone down 20 percent or 30 percent in value. And so, uh, yeah, it's all fine and good that now it's yielding 15%, but if you've lost 30% in principal value, what have you really made? You've made nothing. You've actually lost money. That's not as common as we're seeing now when we're reviewing client portfolios, but we know that was an issue very much in the past, and we pointed that out to a lot of investors, and a lot of investors lost sight of the fact that you can actually have declines in values in some of these higher-yielding names. And one, one more thing before we go to break is that Dividends on stocks in the current tax environment are tr- can be treated more. Uh, uh, there's a better treatment of of, of taxation uh, on on those dividend paying stocks than you might otherwise get in uh, in uh, interest on bonds. Okay, well let's take a commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're continuing this hour on the five things every retirement portfolio should have. Number one was consistent income. And Jeff, I'm glad you brought up right before we went to commercial break the REITs or real estate investment trusts and these master limited partnerships and some of the portfolios we've reviewed where the prospective client has been glowing about such a high yield and high return that they've been getting in income but not paying attention to the value of the actual original investment and the principal devaluation that they've had. And I've said... I've actually seen this when I've talked to somebody that said, oh, Kyle, look at the great 10, 15, 12% uh, dividend yield I'm getting. And, I'm sa- and I said to them, but you've lost 50% or 75% of the value of your original investment. And then I see the look come over their face saying, oh, my gosh, I just realized that I was, like you said earlier, focused on yield and not looking at the total overall picture. So for any listener 
that's in these types of investments, you know, pay attention to the underlying value of your original investment because it's not it, it's not worth getting a ten percent dividend yield if you've lost fifty or sixty percent of your original investment. Um, and then also for the real estate investment trust, the illiquidity issues that we have been running into right. during portfolio reviews that we've done here at Davidson Capital Management, you have to read the fine print. In every perspective, as we've, as we've always said, if it takes 100 or 150 pages to explain the investment vehicle you're getting ready to buy, you should not only get up, but you should get up and run. So, number two. Number two. Five things that every retirement portfolio should have. The number two item is preservation of capital. Now, there has been, really, especially here since 2013 and the big gains that we had in 2013, there's been this obsession in the media with trying to call the top and that, oh, you know, it, it's it, that's all it. these all this these. Yeah, this is it. It can't go any higher. We'll go. We'll data mine all these statistics to find statistics that fit our argument that says that you should be getting out of stocks now because they've had this tremendous run since uh, March of 2009 when the financial crisis basically ended and this bull market run began. And there's just been this obsession with 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 folks needing to, in essence, board up their portfolios, get ready for that coming storm, get ready for that hurricane that's coming. And, you know, preservation of capital is certainly something that every investor should be concerned about. But it doesn't mean that you should go out and you should completely liquidate your portfolio every time or within a month or so of every time the Dow or the S&P or the NASDAQ reaches an all-time high, because that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the all-time high for the portfolio. The way that you preserve capital to us is you have a balanced portfolio. You have a portfolio of stocks, you have a portfolio, and in that same portfolio you have some bonds and you have some cash. So if one asset class, say stocks, is not having a particularly good day, usually that means that bonds are having a particularly good day. Or if stocks don't have a particularly good quarter, usually that means that bonds are having a, a, a good quarter. So one will offset the other in, in some respect, not dollar for dollar, but most folks that had big losses and that suffer big losses in market downturns don't have port have portfolios that are too highly allocated to one asset class, whether it be stocks and what's getting ready to happen and what's what really started in 2013 for those investors that had high allocations to bonds. They thought that being an invested in bonds, if they got out, say, in the in the, uh, the the heights of the financial crisis in 08 and 09, and they went to their financial professional and said, "I want out. I don't care what it what it, where things are valued at. I don't care where the markets are. I don't care what the news is. I don't care what the Fed's doing. I just want out. And I want out now, and I want all my money in bonds." And they were, and they probably felt fairly good through 2009 and 10 and 11 and 12 because interest rates were falling. And so they were seeing the value of their portfolio go up. Now, stocks went up a lot more than bonds, but then you get in 2013, and, you, and, and suddenly this preservation of capital goal of owning fixed income, because that's, what, that's how I'm going to preserve my portfolio. I'm never going to have to worry about this again because my financial professional told me that if I own bonds, that I, I wasn't going to lose any value in my portfolio. Wrong. 
2013 comes along, and these investors that had high allocations to, to fixed income found out that, yes, you can lose money in bonds. And, and one other thing I wanted to add to that, Jeff, you know, again, talking about a balanced account, I mean, David's, you know, we're in our 25th year of business, and our philosophy from day one and will continue to be the philosophy for 25-plus years to come is that of being a balanced manager. And when we talk about being a balanced manager, we're not talking about going to a portfolio and saying, okay, Mr. or Mrs. Client, 60% of your money is in stocks, 40% of your money is in fixed income and cash, and we're going to set it and forget it. That is not what we're talking about, and we do not advocate that in any way, shape, or form, even for our listeners that are potentially managing their money on their own. When we talk about a balanced account, it's an actively managed balanced account to be able to make adjustments when adjustments need to be made, just like we do as professional money managers for our clients here at Davidson Capital Management. You know, there are certain market conditions where we want to be a little more overweighted in stocks than we are in fixed income, like we're like our current conditions right now in the interest rate environment where we have some of our highest allocations to stocks and our minimum allocations to bonds in the history of our firm right now. But then also when the winds and the tide shift and it's time to have more fixed income exposure because we're in a more normalized interest rate environment, then that's when you need to make your adjustments. It's not just about setting it and forgetting it in a balanced portfolio. You have to be actively managed in order to be successful over the long term. And if there's any, if there's one kind of statement that I use with prospective clients and our clients here at Davidson Capital Management that I'd like to convey to all of our listeners is that the way to build long-term wealth in a portfolio, it's not how well your portfolio does in up years, it's how shallow you can keep your hole in down years. And here's just a quick mathematical example. If you lose 50% of the value of your account, and I know we've run across some folks here at, that have come through our front door that have been in that situation. If you lose 50% of the value of your account, you have to make a 100% return just to get back to where you started. That's why keeping your hole shallow, being in an actively managed, balanced portfolio is what's going to help build long-term wealth in your account. And if you don't feel that you have the competency to do that, then you need to go out and search for a competent, registered investment advisor, someone that has discretionary control that can actively manage those assets for you to help protect your portfolio over the long term. So number two was preservation of capital. Uh, number three of the five things every retirement portfolio should have is liquidity. And boy, I don't know how many times we have had this conversation with prospective clients uh, over the years here at our firm. And liquidity is something that I want each and every one of our listeners to think about, particularly those listeners that have traditional pension plans, and for listeners that are thinking about retiring in the short term, in the near term, and have been out doing their research of what financial professionals they possibly would want to be working with as they transition into retirement, who are shoving down your throats annuities. And any longtime listener of the Money Wise program knows our absolute disdain for annuities of any way, shape, or form. And also, in essence, when pension recipients decide, you know what, I want to start receiving those monthly payments from my pension, you have now turned those assets that you've worked your entire career to build in that pension into an annuity. But guess what these two, these two things don't give you? They don't give you liquidity. 
And the, the pension topic is a topic I've wanted to have here on the Money Wise program for quite some time now. We always seem to be running out of time, and I know we're coming up to the bottom of the hour, so I'm going to say as much as I can before we go to the bottom of the hour break and come back. I'll continue my thought. But any listener of our program that that is lucky enough to have a traditional pension where it's growing and building value and it's going to be there when it comes time for you to retire, the one piece of advice that we have given our prospective clients through the years of service that we've provided is it's always the best idea to gain control of your assets at retirement, meaning not taking the annuity payments from a traditional pension. Because once you elect to take those pension payments, and let's just say in this example, you decide I'm going to be receiving $1,500 a month, that is what you're going to receive for the life of that payment schedule. Now, if you decide that you want to receive your pension in a single life payment, that's going to give you the biggest monthly payment. But guess what happens if you pass away the next year or six months after you make that decision? If you're married, your spouse receives nothing. And if you have children, your children receive nothing. And those assets that you worked your entire career to build goes right back into the pension is redistributed to other employees in the future. Um, that's if you choose the single life payout. Now we're coming to the bottom of the hour break, so when we come back from the break, I want to go into the other payout options that retirees have in pensions and why you should be, if you have the ability to take a lump sum distribution from your pension, you need to be doing that in order to keep your liquidity. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing the five things that every retirement portfolio should have, number one was consistent income, number two was preservation of capital, and before we went to the bottom of the hour break, we were talking about liquidity, and I was taking a little sidebar discussing pensions, uh, traditional defined benefit plans that still quite a few listeners of the Money Wise program are lucky enough to receive or have the ability to receive pensions um, this really, this this whole discussion is really going out to you. And, and the the piece of advice that we give uh, prospective clients that come through our door is that if your pension allows you the ability to take a lump sum distribution from that pension, to take it because that then gives you the liquidity, but it also gives you full control of those assets that you possibly spent twenty five to forty plus years building and earning over your career. And so before we went to break, I was talking about the different pension payouts and some of the drawbacks of them. So we talked about the single life payout. You start receiving that payout, something happens to you, God forbid, six months later you pass away, nothing goes to your heirs or if you're married to your spouse. So that's not a very good benefit, but it gives you the highest monthly payout. Option number two is a survivorship benefit. So again, the payout's going to be less then option number one, and so if something were to happen to you, then it would go to your spouse. But here's something you need to think about under that option. God forbid something happened to both you and your spouse in a common incident. 
that guess what? Nothing goes to your heirs, and those monies are then redistributed to other employees that are part of that pension. Then a lot of times you have a third option. And there's multiple options, but I'm going to touch on the top three. Then option number three is you have a survivorship benefit, and then past that you have a beneficiary benefit. So if something were to happen to you and your spouse in a common accident or incident, then your beneficiaries would receive the remaining balance of your pension. But again, your monthly payout would be less. And you might be thinking, well, Kyle, those are three pretty good three options, three, three pretty good options. Why wouldn't I go that direction? Well, here's something you also need to keep in mind with all three of these options. Once you elect to receive that pension, in this example, let's say it's $1,500, that is what you're going to be receiving for the rest of your life or for the rest of these payout elections that you've made. Well, there's something out there called monetary inflation that a lot of folks that feel this high level of comfort and security with receiving this monthly benefit check from their pension don't realize is that that $1,500 you're receiving a month, every month that goes by, that $1,500 buys a little bit less. Now, imagine receiving that payment for 20, 25, 30 years. I can assure you 30 years from now, $1,500 is going to be buying a heck of a lot less than it can today. And so someone who's a pension recipient who's thinking about annuitizing and taking that monthly payment needs to think about what we just discussed, but also monetary inflation eroding the purchasing power of that check because they're not adjusted for inflation. And you have to keep that in the forefront of your mind. That's why we always recommend to take the lump sum distribution, the cash option distribution, and put that money to work for you because it gives you the liquidity, it gives you the access, and it gives you the ability to pass those assets down to heirs. And what if you, let's say you take the election and you're 62 years old, 63 years old, and a couple of years you're getting the $1,500 a month, but something happens when you turn 65 and... You need more than $1,500 a month. Yeah. Can't do anything. Can't do anything. Or how about this? How about the total opposite? How about if you have, usually when you re, when you retire from an organization, you might have a traditional 401K and a pension. A lot of the refineries here in Corpus Christi have two parts to their retirement. Well, let's just say you have enough in your 401K to live off of in retirement. You don't really need to touch the pension. Well, if you let's say you just let that pension money accumulate. And you didn't make, and you elected to just have it all rolled into one account. You you uh, put it to work. You for put it. you put it to work. You don't have to start taking distributions from even your four hundred one k or your pension retirement until you reach the age of seventy and a half under current law. So flexibility, and 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 that's not one of these one of the. Uh, it should be five, a slash. It should it be should, liqui- it should be liquidity, liquidity slash flexibility. That's right. And by committing yourself to a stream of payments, no one knows what's going to happen in their life 10 years from now, 20 years from now. A year from now. A year from now. I mean, six months from now. Life can change in the blink of an eye. So why tie your hands into something? Why, why, Why make a decision right now that could affect you a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road? You're just reducing your flexibility by... Committing yourself to to a taking a pension uh, payout in in the form of, of payments, which is in the essence an annuity. They don't ever call it that, I know. which is very interesting. It's not it, when you when we see the paperwork and we advise clients that come to our office, it never says annuity. 
it's just this is going to be your payment for your life, your life for your heir's life, for your spouse's life. It doesn't say that this is an essence and annuity, but that's exactly what it is. Well, and, and again, the technical definition of annuity is a steady stream of periodic payments. Well, guess what? We have clients at Davidson Capital Management that are taking monthly distributions from the assets we manage and, in essence, have created a quote-unquote annuity for themselves, by, but, but doing it by not owning an annuity and having full access to their money in case. Complete liquidity, complete, complete flexibility, flexibility, and complete access at all times. And the longest our clients would go without getting their hands on their assets in case, God forbid, an emergency is three business days. That's it. And so this pension conversation, again, goes right in line with annuities, and it really, again, adds to our disdain to annuities. And as Jeff said, you know, taking those, those monthly payments, you're handcuffing yourself. You're handcuffing yourself, and you're not giving yourself an out. And so we highly recommend before any decisions like this are made to pick up the phone and call us to at least receive an education on what your options are. Because I can tell you this, and I've run into this with a couple of our clients, Jeff, some companies that provide pension benefits do not advertise that there is a lump sum distribution option at all. They do not discuss it. I know one of our clients in right. Houston, we actually, he, our client had to make a phone call and put the hot coals to somebody on the other end of the phone before they finally admitted, yes, sir, you're correct, we do have a lump sum distribution option. But on all the paperwork that I assisted our client in filling out prior to his retirement, didn't say it anywhere. And it ought to be against the law for employers to, 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 to mislead do Absolutely. their retirees that, that that option's not available to them. And the reason that they do it is they want to keep as much money in their pension plans as they can so that the 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 corporations that make co- corporate contributions into the into the employees pension plans by keeping more money in it they don't have to contribute as much as right. as a corporation which improves their profitability that's right and so there's a incentive for less than full disclosure to occur when it comes time to retire that's right it's not very common but it does happen it does happen so Again, five things every portfolio retirement should have. Number one, consistent income. Number two, preservation of capital. Number three, liquidity and you know, for we, Jeff we, slash flexibility. Yeah, flexibility and, and kind of maybe reiterating what we'd said in some of the in some of the previous uh, uh, number one and number two about liquidity and and the the private place private placements are the are one of the biggest violators of. Of liquidity. Of liquidity. Yeah. Uh, we've especially private placements sold REITs. We've seen a lot of them sold in the financial since the financial crisis, and the rules have actually changed since we really started talking a lot about them. Uh, they're required to report you know, the, the change in value of those private placement REITs, where in the past that they weren't really supposed to. If you have, if you're signing up for an investment, and it has a 200-page prospectus. You need to start asking some hard questions to the person on the other side of the table about how liquid this investment is. And if you can't get your money out of it in three business days or less, then you have to really question whether this is an investment that you should be in. A lot of these private placements and a lot of these private placement REITs especially, 
you can't get out of them for up to three to six months after you put in a request. And actually, I've read on the front page of prospectuses for these private placement real estate investment trusts, or REITs, in bold letters. Now, granted, the, the print is about an eight point, so it's almost microscopic, but it's in bold. And it says that this is not an actively traded security, does not have an active open market for liquidity, and liquidity can be significantly and is significantly reduced. And, Jeff, I know you have personal experience with clients here at Davidson Capital Management where it took our client almost six months to receive benefits back from a private placement real estate investment trust that was purchased. So you, you've been around the block a few times with these. In the 25 years we've managed money, we, have, we only invest in securities that are publicly traded that that have that you can look up online that have a symbol you can whether it's a mutual fund whether it's a stock whether it's an exchange traded fund whether it's a bond they're all publicly traded they're all highly liquid investments and w- we would not recommend to most investors unless you're very sophisticated and you have a, a portion of your portfolio that we would call your quote unquote play or Vegas money that you avoid investments that are not publicly traded okay so again when we're, we're getting ready to take our last commercial break for this weekend's money wise program when we come back we'll be wrapping up five things every retirement portfolio should have we've done consistent income preservation of capital capital liquidity slash flexibility and we've got number four and five coming up after this you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management we'll be back after the break Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in the last segment of this weekend's Money Wise program, I want to wrap up five things every retirement portfolio should have. So far, we've covered consistent income, number two, preservation of capital, number three, liquidity, and then Jeff has added slash flexibility. Number four is competitive costs. Now, we have talked... Oh, my gosh. How many? I mean, we've, we're have down in our ninth year of doing the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX, and we have talked about all the different ways people in the financial service industry are paid, from commissions to commissions paid on products that are sold. And at Davidson Capital Management, as a registered investment advisor, we are completely fee-based. Uh, and our max fee being 1% of total assets per year as far as our management fee is concerned, and our fee goes down from there based on assets under management. Um, And the one thing that we always recommend to anyone looking to hire an investment professional is to search out the registered investment advisor that is on a fee-based schedule, not a commission-based schedule. Um, And really pay attention. I know from just looking at our competitors in the marketplace here in South Texas that at Davidson Capital Management, we're anywhere from 25 to 50% less expensive per year when it comes to our management expense. And so that's something that you'd always pay attention to and understand that when you're working with someone that is in a fee-based 
uh, structure, a fee-based arrangement that really puts them in the same side of the table or in the same boat as you because it gives them the, the incentive. The more money they make for you, the more money they make for themselves, and then if the value of the portfolio goes down, so does their management fee. So pay attention to competitive costs. Ask the questions. And, and just really read the fine print. Don't be afraid to ask whatever whoever the financial professional is you, you may be working with how much they're going to make for managing your money or selling you a particular product. There's, that, that's, that shouldn't be a question that you should be afraid to ask. And, and, and the person on the other side of the table should not hem-haw around or should not try to deflect the question away because – Cost and what you're paying in the portfolio in terms of management fees and expenses, and there's lots of other ways that fees get collected from investors that we didn't even go, we don't really have enough time to go through in this last segment of the show. They can add up, and they're not always obvious. And you have to, as Kyle says, dig deeper to figure it out. Uh, for folks that are involved with wrap accounts at the major brokerage houses and they go by different names depending on what brokerage house you're in many of those wrap accounts start off at two two and a half percent per year and go up from there That's right. uh, we've seen many wrap accounts that exceeded three percent of assets under management and don't even get a startus started about annuities. Well, I, I, and I'll, I'll kind of leave this okay. number four segment with this. If anyone that you're working with is paid through commissions and you ask them how much commissions they're going to make and their answer is nothing, that's a flat-out lie. That is a flat-out lie. They're not people doing don't it work, out of the goodness of yeah, their people heart. People don't work for nothing. They don't work for nothing. So keep that in the back of your mind. So the fifth and final thing that every retirement portfolio should have, and again, see this and we talk about this time and time again is long-term growth the bottom line is is as you get closer to retirement and as Jeff said at the the beginning of this second hour you can't just board up your portfolio you cannot say well I'm two or three years away from retiring so now I'm just gonna move everything 100% into fixed income now I'm safe yeah preservation of capital should not overshadow long-term growth you always need growth. Whether you're 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, you need some form of investment growth in your portfolio because that investment growth is what's going to help offset monetary inflation over the long term. That's why growth is so necessary and is a requirement for any successful portfolio. And I will say this. The last few 401ks that I've reviewed for prospective clients, I've been noticing just here recently a trend, especially with how well the markets did in 2013, where I've seen folks that are you know, in their mid to late 50s that are sitting 70, 80, 100% of their 401k in either cash, fixed income, or the stable value fund because they feel that, you know what, I've grown my 401k to four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars and I'm not willing to take any more risk, so I'm just gonna put it all in the stable value fund yeah. and ride off into the sunset and that is the worst thing you could do. They're allowing preservation of capital to overshadow long term growth. And and we've always said don't be confused with pre preservation of capital with return of purchasing power. The the lack of thought towards monetary inflation is is a bad thing that you that you could do for your portfolio not paying attention to that 
not realizing that loss of purchasing power is a loss. Well, it's not going to show it on your statement, but it is a loss. One thing that, that I think we could safely say as financial advisors is that these days of the CPI running around 2% are just about over. Yeah. And we have no way of knowing how high inflation is going to be in the future. But it's definitely not going to be at this level. Another reason to not say, oh, $700,000 is enough, and I'm just going to, as you say, Play ride it into the sun. I mean, that the funny thing is you think you're playing it safe. You are actually taking a big risk. You think you're being safe when you're doing this. You are not. And you could be doing long-term irreparable damage to your retirement portfolio. And so if you find yourself in that position and you might be past the age of 59 and a half, one thing I just kind of quick sidebar to throw into this, if you're participating in a 401k and you're past the age of 59 and a half, most standard prototype 401k plans allow you to take what's called an in-service distribution. And that allows you to roll out the balance of your 401k, hire a professional money manager like a Davidson Capital Management to manage those assets for you while you are still working for your current employer and also allowing you to continue to participate in the 401k to receive any of the matching or profit sharing dollars that your employer is providing. And we have done this, we have done this with a multitude of clients over the years, but again, it is something that is not advertised by the 401k provider that you have the ability to do this. So if you're in this past 59 and a half years old, you're not planning on retiring anytime soon, you know, it never hurts to pick up the phone and make a call and to learn about what your options are with your 401k because if you've amassed four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars or more in your 401k and you're nervous about the future and you don't have the wherewithal to manage it yourself, there could be some options out there for you to hire a professional manager to oversee those assets. So long-term growth is an absolute key. Do not board up your portfolio. You'll need growth in that portfolio for the rest of your life. So with that, we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two for my father john and my brother jeff this is kyle davidson saying have a fantastic weekend and to your financial health we will talk to you next week